I think one thing looking back was I was really nervous about doing all the higher views at first. And I think I'm not sure if I just got more confident as the process went on, or I just realized that the questions were usually pretty simple and low stakes. I think the best thing you can do is just try and be relaxed during those, uh, you know, virtual interviews, because in reality, I think they're really just assessing your ability to speak fluently as opposed to assessing the quality or the rightness of your answer, so to speak. Welcome to the Breaking Into Finance podcast. Let's dive in. Aaron, thank you so much for hopping on. I guess maybe to start, do you mind just giving a super short background on you and maybe how we how we first met and know each other? Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for having me on, Craig. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of background. We first met around a month and a half ago uh, on Middlebury's campus at Flatbread Pizza. Uh, you, you came back to campus, you know, speaking to a lot of different students and different leaders of different clubs and kind of explain your mission uh, with the podcast and ultimately trying to, you know, give students, especially undergrad students, a little bit more exposure to the uh, financial industry. And I think that definitely resonated with me, especially going through the journey myself a few years ago and trying to ultimately sift through, uh, you know, the different career paths and the, the different strategies to ultimately break into finance and break into investment banking. So uh, glad to finally be able to kind of contribute a little bit, maybe tell my story um, a little bit of background about myself. I'm currently from Summit, New Jersey. Um, ultimately came to Middlebury because I was recruited to run track and field. Uh, stopped running this year. Um, and in terms of my interest in finance, it really picked up, I would say, early during the pandemic. I was a senior in high school. Uh, right when COVID started, I was home from school with remote classes. And I remember noticing the stock market start to wildly fluctuate. Uh, I don't really have any family uh, in the industry. So I remember you know, asking my parents, you know, what the heck's going on? And didn't really get a straight answer. So I kind of try to figure it out for myself, you know, opened up my own Robinhood account, lost a lot of money, but ultimately realized that this was something I had somewhat of an interest in. Um, so carried that to Middlebury, joined the student investment committee, didn't really know a thing about it freshman year, uh, you know, joined the financial institutions group, got some mentorship from the portfolio manager of that group and have pretty much rode that all the way through. And I'm now uh, the co-president with James Orr, another Middlebury student right now. Um, and then I guess banking specifically, um, you know, I think that was obviously it's Middlebury's, I would say, its strongest recruiting pipeline. Um, and I think I really did have an interest in, you know, being able to learn more about how different businesses operate, you know, gaining some of that, you know, more mechanical skill set of financial valuation, analysis, accounting. Um, and I also think it's pretty unique, um, you know, coming out of college. I know it might sound a little bit cliche, but to actually be able to, you know, work on, you know, your day to day tasks that actually impact a company's trajectory. And I thought that was, you know, a really unique position to be in. Uh, relative to every other field, I would say within finance, coming out of undergrad. Awesome, yeah. And and now you'll you I guess did intern at Morgan Stanley, and you'll be going back there full time. Um, let's let's yes. talk a little bit about that journey from from the Robin Hood Yolos to investment uh, <laughs> banking. And I think one one question that I think a lot of people have is where to get started and how to discover an interest, kind of in whatever it is that draws you to the field. Because I think, you know, sometimes just transparently, it's literally like, oh, it, like I hear they pay a lot. Sometimes it's like, I'm a competitive person. I understand that this is the competitive field. So let me go compete. And then for other people, there's just like a thing that, that draws them to it. And for me, it was, you know, just being interested in how the world works. Like that, that was like the, the pull for me was I took a couple of econ classes and I felt like the financial system was a little bit abstracted away. And I was just like, man, I feel like 
money is governing a lot of decision making, and I want to learn more about you know what what governs all that. Um, but curious, yeah, like what what was the thing for you that was like, man, I want to learn more about this, and maybe it was losing all your money on on your Robinhood bets, but. Yeah, I think the first thing was, you know, unfortunately, I think myself, like starting off as a teenager in high school, like there was definitely an urge to kind of, you know, find like a find the hidden treasure. And I think going on the Internet and seeing these um, really optimistic pitches for certain companies that may be very speculative was something that caught my eye. And oftentimes those pitches have a lot of, uh, you know, false reasoning associated with it. But that definitely interested me in terms of like the way in which someone kind of thought about you know, a company's potential growth prospects and ultimately, you know, using those assumptions and putting them into a, you know, valuation. And I think that was kind of the first uh, thing that caught my interest and the kind of the first way I kind of learned the basics of, uh, you know, how to value a company, how to potentially look at it and see, you know, how maybe your opinion differs from like the market and, you know, trying to maybe make profit off of the difference between your opinions and, you know, the consensus opinions. And once you or entering with that mindset of like, now you have like a framework for evaluating this stuff. What were kind of the first things you did to try to actually, you know, learn about this? Yeah, I think, you know, starting off, a lot of times it would be, I'd read something, I wouldn't know what the metric or the term meant, and then I would quickly Google it. So I think Investopedia was one website that was, you know, really helpful. It pretty much has definitions of almost every, you know, concept or term within finance. Um, and then also, you know, YouTube, I mean, there's definitely maybe too many videos out there, but I think, uh, there's definitely a good amount of content where if you look up like, you know, what is a PE ratio or what is a discounted cash flow analysis, you know, there's definitely some pretty simple explanations for those things. Cause I'm definitely more of a, you know, visual learner rather than like, or, uh, an auditorial learner rather than a visual learner. And I think being able to, uh, hear someone else explain something was very helpful for me. Are there any particular, I mean, maybe it was just like one off, like you Googled the term and find a video. Were there any particular channels or single people that you thought were really good at explaining certain concepts? Yeah, I think there was a video by Bill Ackman, actually. It was like uh, like, like the financial statements in 40 minutes. I think that was actually the first video I, I watched, well, uh, not knowing who he was at the time guys. either. I'm like, oh, That's wow, like this guy's... Place to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, um, like, so that was one person. helpful person. I'll have to link to that um, <laughs> in, in the show notes after this. Um, as you're now learning about this stuff, you've seen a couple of videos. Now you're, you know, that's the education component. That's the interest component. The next two things are, you know, getting that, you know, job experience and resume building. I'm curious for you. I guess because your your first internship that was the Anka funds. Hundred um, percent. And I guess in terms of that first internship with uh, Anka funds, I think one thing that I realized later in the process, which I didn't totally realize right away, was that when you're an underclassman or you know finishing up your freshman or sophomore year, it doesn't really matter the you know the brand name or the size of the company that you're working for. Um, I think most recruiters really just care about seeing that you put some level of energy into trying to find some sort of learning experience, whether that's, you know, working uh, in some sort of maybe operations role at a bullish bracket bank, which is pretty rare, or just working for a smaller investment firm, such as Anka funds, or even just shadowing someone in insurance or accounting. I think that's um, extremely valuable and honestly gets viewed the same, I think, ultimately, when you're going through that junior year recruiting process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how did, how did you get that job out of curiosity? Like, did you have to do a level of 
prep and resume building first or how did, how did that come together? Um, that was actually my, my mom's brother, honestly, just does, he buys duplexes and triplexes uh, with him and one other uh, partner out in uh, North Carolina. And I just asked yeah. him, Hey, is there any chance I can, you know, shadow and, you know, take a stab at some of the financial models that you guys built. So it was definitely a pretty, um, informal to say the least, but I think just being able to like, I mean, that was my first stab at Excel actually, you know, after freshman yeah. year. And I think being able to, um, you know, really just kind of look at what people do and like the, you know, the, the value and the reasoning why people build these models was uh, very eye-opening to me. That's, that's awesome. And then as you think about, so then your second summer um, now as a sophomore, you're get this internship at Prudential. And I guess the, the question is, as you were applying for that job, how much did just the fact that you had any experience the prior summer matter versus, you know, you mentioned it's like not like a brand name thing, like the existence of the experience and just like the demonstrated effort versus like what you actually learned. Like is how much of it was it both or like one versus the other? I think it was showing like patterns in your resume. So I think, you know, I didn't have anything that's really stood out crazy on my resume, but it was like, okay, this kid, you know, he did an internship after his freshman summer at a small kind of lower name, no name place. He's also part of the, you know, the student investment committee and went from being a regular member to like a senior analyst, which is also a pretty low ranking title. Um, he, you know, I was also part of uh, like to meet group at Middlebury ended up running that first semester. So I think having like just a couple signs on my resume that showed like that I was interested in like actively trying to learn more about you know, finance and business in general, I think was enough that, you know, potentially made my resume stand out as opposed to maybe other candidates. And now, you know, sitting here with, with a few more years of experience, if you're giving advice to, you know, a first semester freshman who's, you know, saying like, hey, I, I have no idea where to begin. And I know I want to build the right resume. I want to build the right, like learning platform to show well. Um, particularly even thinking about these like kind of sophomore interviews, are there any other experiences or things that friends of yours or like peers, you know, did where you're like, man, like that was smart. Like, I wish I did that or, or just other strategies or advice you might give to someone who is starting from nothing, but maybe has a year and a few months, you know, time horizon to get, you know, to, to that level. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I I was told, um, which I think isn't like the the flashiest advice, is but is to like pick up the low hanging fruit. So I think, you know, our investment fund, for example, I think most schools, uh, there's no like tryout or like application. You can just join it and be a part of a, a pitch. So I think like immediately after one semester, you have a pitch that you worked on and you have some analysis, and I think that already you know fills up you know a sixth or a seventh of your resume. Um, you can join a consulting club as well, so you could have you know two extracurriculars immediately after one semester. Um, and I think a lot of schools also, you know, locally, at least at Middlebury College, maybe different in less rural areas. Um, you can work for a local business, usually unpaid, but the school may subsidize, you know, a couple thousand dollars or some sort of uh, stipend for your work there. And that also is another way to get um, some sort of real world uh, internship like experience uh, as an underclassman when it may be a little bit more challenging to you know, work for like a fortune 500 company as a 19 year old. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, just that, that low hanging fruit comment. It's just, you, you got to start somewhere and it's always hard, but um, anything is better than nothing. I feel like, yeah, especially for, for those early experiences. Um, I, I want to pivot now to talking about the, you know, the Morgan Stanley internship process. And I know you're, you're still a student, you don't represent, you know, the opinions of Morgan Stanley, like, et cetera, et cetera, but just like hearing, you know, just like from your personal standpoint, um, things that stood out about that application process, the interview process, things that you did that you were particularly proud of having prepped. Maybe we can, we can start there. Definitely. I think their recruiting process was pretty standard with other uh, large bulge bracket banks um, where they had a higher view interview first. When I was recruiting, it was, uh, I think March 15th was when it, the application opened. Okay. And then around April, I got a follow-up email from them telling me about the, like the higher view. Okay. And so did you already have the Prudential, you already had the Prudential internship lined up, but hadn't started it yet. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, great. So, so you have that lined up. Your talking points are what you will learn, but you haven't learned anything yet. So yeah, so sorry. So, so let's, let's, <laughs> so um, you, you do the higher view, by the way, like any, any particular hot takes or opinions on the higher view or um, anything that, you know, most people don't already know about it before we move on. Yeah. I mean, I guess quick summary, there's usually two or three questions they'll get asked, like, you know, why the bank, why, you know, the certain division, whether it's banking or sales and trading, and then maybe one sort of brain teaser mental or mental exercise, like, oh, like, you know, how would you go about figuring out how many planes were in the sky? And there's no real right answer. It's more so to kind of gauge how you think. Um, and I think one thing looking back was I was really nervous about doing all the higher views at first. And I think I'm not sure if I just got more confident as the process went on, or I just realized that the questions were usually pretty simple and low stakes. I think the best thing you can do is just try and be relaxed during those uh, you know, virtual interviews, because in reality, I think they're really just assessing your ability to speak fluently as opposed to assessing the quality or the rightness of your answers, so to speak. I, I think that's such an important point because yeah, it's it like, and this is the biggest difference I think between interviews and even that, that first banking job versus a lot of what you do in college is, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're not getting graded based on written words, but based on just like verbal and interpersonal communication. And that's going to be so important during your job when you're delivering, you know, insights to clients, when you're trying to, um, you know, describe complex analyses or opinions to people. But then especially for the interview, it's not just like, can you do the math in Excel? Because for these investment banking interviews, there's no like Excel work. It's literally like, can you speak to all of these kind of technical questions or even non-technical questions? And so really having a, you know, composing yourself in a way that, you know, you're ready to be persuasive to someone versus if you're like jittery and nervous, it's really hard to convince someone that, you know, you're confident and, and know what you're talking about. Oh, definitely. I and mean, I guess a little bit of a side topic, but I think the last interview I had at a different bank, the last question was like, explain investment banking to a, to a toddler. Um, and I think like, right when you hear that, I mean, it's one of those things where you might understand all the nuts and bolts, but actually being able to explain it quickly can actually sometimes be harder than you realize at first. Yeah, that's I and those are like always my favorite interview questions, honestly, or the the ones where I try to parse did you just memorize all the right things versus like do you actually understand 
the the concept and the topic. Um, so we we make it through the higher view, and that's that's great higher view advice. Moving to, you know, next round. Um, any any questions you still remember? I I always I never remember the ones that I did well, but I really remember all the questions that I just <laughs> botched. Um, any any fun stories there? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think my first well, right before the the Morgan Stanley process, I think I had an early interview at or not early, but I guess Greenhill at the time when they were a standalone bank, they had like a really early process that I, you know, spoke to a couple of alumni at Middlebury for and got an interview like the next day or two days later. And it was for the, um, I think the, the, the distress group they had there and it was all, you know, pen and paper, um, very technical. It is good sometimes to recruit for places that may, you may even think at the moment, like especially coming from a liberal arts school, it may be above your, you know, quote unquote pay grade. But I think uh, it kind of gives you confidence and desensitizes you from like the fear of having questions that you can't answer. Cause I'm pretty sure, you know, myself and most people included, you know, we'll have a time in an interview where you can't answer a question. And I think not having the nerves before that happens um, really helps you kind of answer questions, you know, more clearly and not have your brain kind of wondering, you know, are you overthinking it or not? And I think that's something that um, I found to be helpful getting that out of the way early. For that junior year internship, how many different places did you apply to out of curiosity? Yeah, I think I applied to about 15 um, but there was really only like six or seven that I was like really confident with or not confident, but just had really invested a lot of time with based on like yeah. the, the alumni at network at Middlebury. Yeah. That, and like, I, I would guess that, you know, Morgan Stanley, if not like being at the top of that list of like prestige or whatever is like at or near the top. And what, one other thing that I really want to encourage people to do is just like apply everywhere because one, it's a little bit of a crapshoot and you never know. Two, you'll just get great. You just, interviewing is a skill, not like some innate trade and you get better at it the more you do. And just getting those reps really helps. And then three, you'll have a fun story like I do of like, man, all of these random, random, random firms that nobody's ever heard of just like flat rejecting me. Um, you know, or even worse, like I get to like an in-person interview and I just like totally, you know, eat shit and just, just like disaster. Um, I think I <laughs> through at least three, like just people staring me in the face disasters. And the, the, the biggest one that stands out is there's actually one, um, I had three back-to-back -back interviews and the first person like comes in and I could just tell by her body language that she was very disappointed with my answers um, to like two questions. And then the next two people that came in, they like didn't even ask me questions. They like sat in the room and were like on their Blackberry, like messaging because they like got prepped that like this kid's useless and it's like not even worth like asking him questions. So I won't, I won't name the firm where that happened, but um I think like those experiences are important and they like help you, you know, learn and like do better. Um, and that is also to say that like, I hope people who are listening to this know that like, if you get like rejected from like one place, that doesn't mean you shouldn't apply to places that you perceive as being more competitive because of that, just because there's so much noise and all this stuff. On that same note, um, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, were almost afraid to 
you know, reach out to the full-time analyst, like to really start networking because of like the fear that you may have a bad call with someone oh, at a bank. Too. And yes. I guess yes. similarly, just having one, you know, so-so call doesn't mean that, you know, everyone at the bank's going to think you're, you're worthless or you're not qualified. I mean, obviously if you have a, you know, a disaster call or you show that you're not interested or rude, that may get back to other people. But I think just showing a genuine interest in trying to learn, I don't think anyone's going to really knock you for that. And I think that was one thing that, you know, I definitely learned over time going through the process. Yeah. The rudeness, the rudeness is way worse than the not knowing anything. Mm -hmm. um, at least, at least I think that's been the sense of most, most people that I've chatted with. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's move on. We, we, you've gotten past the higher view. Um, let's talk about kind of the rest of that, um, interview process, uh, for, for MS specifically. Yeah. So after the high review, there was, um, a first round phone screening. Um, so it was a 30 minute phone call with, I believe like an associate or a VP, uh, at the bank. Um, there were some behavioral questions like why, why Morgan Stanley, you know, why invest in banking? And then there were some, um, almost like a, like a case in terms of, um, and I had this actually at a few banks where rather than explicitly asking you, like walking through the line items of an income statement or balance sheet, it was, you know, assume there's a, a shoe store in your college town, you know, walk me through what the annual revenue might look like. And that's kind of, I guess, one testing your ability to kind of maybe break down the market size, but also being able to, you know, point out the line items, um, you know, on an income statement or like what, you know, depreciation expenses might look like for a shoe store or things like that. So I think it was a little more qualitative, but at the same time kind of forced you to try and apply what maybe you learned in a, on a guide to like the real world or in a different scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess how long was there between the phone screen and, and your super day? Like, was it like the next day? Did you have a few weeks? Like how much, how much prep time did you have? Um, I believe I heard back like the week, a week or so later, maybe five or seven days later. And then once I got that follow-up email saying that I had a, a super day, it was scheduled for one week from then. So um, about two weeks between the first round and the super day interview. All right. All right. And then obviously you, you go through, you get the internship, you go through the internship and you get the full-time offer, which by the way, in, in kind of a tough summer for that. So, so big kudos to you <laughs> on getting, like, I think you know, some, some summers and, and a lot of big firms try to be respectful of people. And like, if you do a good job, you get an offer, but I, I do know some like good people, you know, this summer who, um, who didn't get that offer. So first congratulations to you on, on making it through that hurdle. And then I guess the, the second question is just, yeah, any, any advice or strategies of like, you know, how to do well in the internship? Definitely. I think the biggest thing that I, I tried to at least convey was just interest and like that I really cared. And I think that was the same strategy I had in, you know, those networking calls and in interviews when, you know, coming from Middlebury, great academic school, but it's less pre-professionally focused than, you know, UChicago or Wharton or some of those other more finance heavy undergrad programs. And I think I, you know, I wanted to come across as someone who like, you know, came in early every day, you know, left late, asked for additional work. You know, was trying to improve day in and day out, even if I started maybe a little bit behind the other summer analysts in my group. And I think that also allows you to kind of take a little bit less pressure on yourself of being, you know, you know, super accurate and super knowledgeable from day one. And I think they really value like your growth over the summer as opposed to, you know, your starting point and like your ending point compared to everyone else. It's more so like where you finished compared to where you started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I guess 
you know, we've, we've covered a lot already, but any other, um, you know, b- before we part any other pieces of advice or, or things that, you know, you wished you knew, uh, you know, whatever, one, two, three years ago. Um, trying to think, I think the, the best thing that I, I guess learned going through the process is how much better you get through repetition and through like practice. So I think like the more conversations you have on the phone with analysts, um, at first it almost feels like you're, you're just doing it because you're told you're supposed to. But I think once you get through, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 phone calls, uh, it doesn't really feel like the, like an audition anymore. And it actually feels like you're asking like genuine questions and are actually learning everything through you know, from every conversation that you have, you know, sequentially. Um, so I think, you know, at first it's always going to be uncomfortable to finally call that first analyst who's, you know, three or four years older than you. And you're going to feel like you're, you know, kind of faking your knowledge of the industry, which everyone I think feels at some point and in some degree. Um, but I think the earlier you start that, uh, the more prepared and the more comfortable you'll feel come, you know, February, March, April, when uh, the interviews start to roll through, I would say. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Aaron, I think, I think that's great advice to close on. Thank you so much again for, for coming on and doing this. And also, you know, I, I don't know what day we're going to post this, but for everybody who's listening, we're recording this on like a Friday night, um, your time, Aaron. So, so definitely appreciate you, you giving up the, the first part of your Friday to, to record this for me since I'm, I'm off in California on Pacific time and, and you're in Vermont. Yeah, no, of course, probably a little warmer where you are right now, but uh, that's true. It'll do. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much again. Um, Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again, Craig. Have a great That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to check out our website, breakingintofinancepodcast.com, where you can submit questions, join our Substack to stay up to date on new content releases, and much, much more. We'll see you next time.